0: Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting startup founders share their stories and strategies. They also deliver tangible lessons learned along the way that you can apply to your own startup. Each episode is a true masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. Well, this is Kevin Pruitt with a special encore episode of Rising Tide Startups. And I have one of my favorite guests in history uh, to come on and and just share what's happened since uh Meryl. I guess it was May of 2020 that you joined us for the first time. Uh down under one of my one of my early Australian guests. As we were focusing on it, we had kind of an Aussie period going there. My I Got this theory that, that we have a really close connection that Americans and Australians think a lot of likes. And I, that was proven true that time and time again when I kept interviewing you know, Australian founders. But our, my guest today is Meryl Johnson, founder of Bean Ninjas. So Meryl, thanks again for joining us. And tell, tell our listeners again who Meryl Johnson is.
1: Yeah, it's great to be back. So a little bit about me. I'm, I'm an accountant, but I've always been interested in business. I, I had my first business when I was 20 years old. Tennis coaching at, at university. Worked as a corporate accountant for many years, and then took the plunge back in 2013 to leave the corporate world and, and go out on my own. And I did that through a that transition was through a consulting business model. So I was selling my time for money, but I enjoyed it. I'm a surfer. I was earning a good hourly rate, so I didn't have to work too much, and, and spent a lot of time surfing and and traveling. And then I started to to go a lot, to work at co-working spaces, meet some more people that were running their own business, read business books, listen to podcasts, and then my ambitions grew from enjoying probably what I was running was a lifestyle business, mm. and, and it was hard to scale. Yep. to then I decided I wanted to build something more like a startup, grow something bit bigger, build a team, build a brand, and challenge myself the goal was still lifestyle in mind, but I wanted to build an asset, a business that could run without me. And my goal eventually was that I could take dividends from that business, but a team would run it. And that the business that I started was called Bean Ninjas. And so I still used that accounting background and started a bookkeeping business. And I had some criteria around that business model if I want it to be location independent. So can I run it from anywhere? Is it very process-based, so it's easy to build a team mm-hmm. and definitely not using my name in the business name and trying to make it sound more like a startup than a traditional I've heard that's, firm. that's
0: wise if you ever want to sell it. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> yeah, so that's probably the quick overview of my background. And I think in the last interview, I talked a little bit about some of the challenges in taking ninjas from zero and then gradually figuring out Product market fit, building a team, and finding some business partners. Having a, a business partner that we had to buy out, and s- some other challenges along the way.
0: I think that you've you cracked that nut though, because uh, it's interesting. You, I, I love the way you phrase that. You, how can I move from a lifestyle business to a, like a scalable startup? You know that that really is. I matter of fact that we could we could end right there and say okay. Meryl, take the next five minutes and tell everybody listening how to do that because I mean, so many of our listeners probably are sitting there with, yeah, I'm I'm building something around me. I'm I'm paying my bills. I'm a I'm a surfer that can live in her van and you know, and pay just and have just enough to eat and, and you know, <laughs> buy the basic necessities of life and have time to surf type thing. But you know, how do I transition where that it's moving from you know, I'm just earning enough to for my basic expenses to like now I'm kind of reaping the dividend side of things, you know, that, that there's a there's a recurring, almost a passive revenue that I was generating from something I created. So what's the what's kind of the secret sauce that you discovered along the way? And, you know, in maybe two or three steps, because that's such a that's such a huge issue, you know, that you just kind of kind of said, hey, this is what I had to do.
1: I think the main challenge is when people start service businesses, obviously usually they've they've got a profession or a skill of some type of some kind, and then they're selling that skill. And so I had to separate my professional expertise and desire to be a great accountant from running a business that mm. delivered accounting services, because my consulting, I had a lot of pride in my work, and the level that I was delivering to was quite different to delivering a a basic bookkeeping service. And so at the beginning, I over delivered and charged bookkeeping prices, but then was providing my full professional expertise at a a very low rate. So I had to separate the two and my professional identity, I need to separate my professional identity from that. So no, I'm running a business, I'm hiring a great team of bookkeepers and it's all about process and systems, not about me and, and my profession so and that was quite hard for me to do because for 10 years I'd been building that identity of being a great accountant and and so separating that and thinking I'm in the business of accounting and I'm running that business so I think that's can be a challenge and it's an important step if you're running a business that's tied to your professional skill set and for me the the other couple of things were uh, there's a term called a productized service so instead of in consulting you go in and then you you're talk to a client and you figure out their problems and then you build a custom solution. Right, And that that's quite hard to scale. Yep. And so instead of that, I thought about what is a good problem that I can solve over and over again and do that in more of a productized way. And to bookkeeping was a great fit for that. Something that needs to be provided every month. I, we just had three fixed fee packages of these are the options. These are the uh, the deliverables. Would you like to buy it? This is what you get and not a whole lot of negotiation and custom work. And so that really sped up the sales process, but also made the delivery a lot easier to, Mm -hmm. to repeatedly provide a good experience with a team. So I think that is a great step for service business owners. So separate professional identity, try and productize it and really narrow the scope in some way and then build a brand that is, separate to you so build a, a business brand and then that I, I guess building a team is is related to that as well so that's probably step four is build a team and, and processes to deliver on that process right. of that the productized service business model
0: I mean it's it's got to be easier to hire toward that as well that toward a productized service because uh, you can I mean it's, it's probably more predictable it's more. You know, uh, certainly easy, easier to scale, as you mentioned, but the whole idea of saying, okay, as we're onboarding clients, we know what it's going to take to deliver these three levels of service that we've kind of outlined, and we know what kind of people we need to hire for those, you know, to deliver on those, those services, those service levels or whatever, but so everybody out there said would say, absolutely, yeah, we can do that so but not everybody can pull it off. So what was the, <laughs> what happened in you know, as you started this and you thought, okay, how did you decide on what niche to focus on? How did you decide on what services to provide? How did you price those levels? I mean, there's so many questions that that come to mind of, you know, that you see me like kind of look back and say, yeah, this kind of happened as I, while I was surfing, I came back and it was (laughs) that the the accounting fairies had figured it out in my van.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this is a great, great question. And a lot of it was just iterative. So I believe mm-hmm. in so lean startup methodology or we there's another book called the Seven Day Startup. And it's just about launching and then getting feedback from customers. And yeah. so we we launched in seven days. I can't remember if I told that story on in the earlier interview, but we literally went from putting up a website, figuring out our prices to, to a customer in less than seven days. And, and under a thousand
0: dollars, right? Or so kind yes, of what you threw exactly. in.
1: Yeah. We, we only, we, I put in $500. My business partner put in 500 mm. And that was our budget to build the website, get a domain name, just get <laughs> get started, did our own logo. <laughs> and that's the approach we've always had. Like, let's just get something out there, get feedback and iterate. So I think our first price, we were offering bookkeeping for $99 a month, which is impossible to do yeah. profitably. Our, our typical price is now 10 times that as a starting point. It's more like, Uh, $900 a month, Mm -hmm. but we just got started tested. How how can we deliver this service? Does that price fit the market? And then we just kept on iterating. Let's, let's test. Can we charge 200? Can we charge 500 and, and continually learning and iterating, trying to figure out what worked. And that was similar with finding our niche. We had no niche to start with. It was Mm -hmm. any kind of business, signwriters, plumbers, lawyers, HR people, you know, anybody it was any, with a credit
0: card. <laughs> exactly. We would
1: work with anyone. And then we kept on analyzing. So we'd have a spreadsheet with our customers, what industry they're in, how much we charge, but also that so revenue, but also what it cost us to deliver. So who are our most profitable customers? And then we rated them on things like, did they refer us other work? Were they happy with us? Were they mm. good to work with? Yep. Did we have any issues with them paying us? That's all in the spreadsheet. And, over time, we realized, ah, oh, working with online businesses is actually better for us because we don't want to have to work to set hours. We don't want to pick up the phone at, at 6 p.m. and someone expect us to be available. Yeah. So other online business owners are a good fit because they're used to working via Zoom, via Certainly email. Asynchronous,
0: yeah, time for sure. Yes.
1: Yeah, so we, we figured that out and then gradually that got more narrow. And so there's subcategories of online businesses. There's mm-hmm. online service businesses, there's software, memberships, digital products, and then physical products. And so gradually we narrowed that down to physical products, which are e-commerce businesses.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That, this is over a period of about five years. Uh, and then eventually we... we Specific, yeah we, we started to target those e-commerce br- businesses with our marketing and then we ripped the band-aid off and changed the headline on our website at the top tier to say we work with seven and eight figure e-commerce brands wow but it, it took a long time to get there that that wasn't day one so yeah. there are a couple of examples with, with pricing in the niche uh, and we do it with all across the business let's get feedback iterate and, and, and learn
0: So we're not talking about the the weekend Shopify owner, Shopify people. These are, these are serious e-commerce brands that are, you know, that are generating serious revenue, but so it's, it is amazing that, I mean, you kind of walk through the whole MVP, you know, the, like we, we launch a minimum viable product. We, we test it, we get feedback, we iterate and we, you know, it's like a continual like process that you're, you're going through. But so, so we look back at at say twenty twenty. I mean, you were rolling pretty good in twenty twenty, but I mean, what has happened since twenty twenty to now? I mean, yeah. um, I like I told you before we hit the, hit the record button. I said, you know, you are you are hard to keep up with online because it seems <laughs> like every time I see a post, there's a there's a transition or something. You you change something else. But yeah. so so, who is Merrill today versus Merrill in twenty twenty?
1: Well, there's probably two big things that. That are different. Uh, one is that we used our knowledge of running a service business to build software. So we launched a, an app called Crossbeam, which solves a problem that we had in in deli- in servicing some of our clients. It was a very manual process. So we built an app between one of the sh- the um, e commerce platforms we use called Nito and Zero, and so that was a very mm-hmm. proud moment in in having that accepted into the Zero App Store. They've got quite a extensive vetting process. And that was a really fun project for me to work. It was me, one of my business partners in the, from the accounting business, and then a developer. And really interesting to identify the problem, build the MVP, or the de- developer built it, but with our input, and then figuring out what's the minimum we need to get to market, and then testing it with beta users, figuring out what other features we would build, what we wouldn't, coming up with a marketing strategy. Uh, there's some similarities, but there's a lot of differences with a software business and a service business. Uh, Probably the main one for me was getting my head around how slow it is to grow a software company. I mentioned Mm. our our typical starting price is about $900 a month. That's a minimum. We've got people paying a lot more than that. Whereas our software customers pay $50 a month. So you need a lot more customers and there's an upfront cost. There's a significant upfront investment in getting the product to the point that someone will pay for it. Mm. So, so that was an interesting business model. So we could, we could talk about that. And then my other big thing is that I stepped down as CEO of the business in December of 2021.
0: Yeah. And yeah. now
1: I'm a part-time advisor. So I'm not full-time in the business anymore. And I, it's about one day a week. There's been a couple of things that happened that kind of dragged me back into the business. But as of July this year, I'm doing it about one day a week, spread mm. across a few hours a day. And that took me seven years to, to build the team to that point.
0: So, so a lot of transitions since 2020. So tell me a little bit about, I mean, what, I know what you've done, but your business partner that you started this with, are they still involved in in the business on a ongoing basis? Or what's, what's that look like as far as like leadership?
1: So I started the business with a guy called Ben and he we were both accountants. He lived in Sydney in Australia. I lived on the Gold Coast. And that's what forced us to start a remote team from day yeah. one. And we were we had a lot of fun starting the business together, but then realized well, we didn't really have complementary skill sets. Our skill sets were quite similar, which actually isn't a great thing in yeah. a business partnership. And we also had different ambitions and different family situations. I was... Uh, Pre kids. I, I now have a couple of kids uh, was very ambitious and wanted to push hard to to mm-hmm. grow fast. He had a young family, a lot of responsibilities uh, needed to, to be earning more money to support his family and couldn't reinvest as, as much as I wanted to right. back in the startup. So we actually parted ways about 18 months into the business, which was a very tough set of conversations mm-hmm. to, to have. Um, and Th- we we discussed whether I would buy buy Ben out or whether he would buy me out. And luckily we had a co-founder agreement where we had a lot of things documented and mm-hmm. agreed uh, before we started the business together. Being accountants, that was probably one of the things that we did well, <laughs> even though we made a lot of mistakes. And so then we followed the plan that we'd laid out in that, that co-founder agreement and I ended up buying him out. So for a period, I was the sole owner. I owned hundred percent of the business. And then over time, I had an investor put in a small amount of money back about a year after that. And that really helped me to hire some more senior level talent. It's hard when you're growing a service business. Yeah. Do you, yeah. the, you're gradually growing, but then to, to hire someone, it's a big jump. And mm-hmm. so that helped me cash flow that and, and take the business to the next level. And now I have a couple of other business partners that run different regions. So a business partner in the US, mm-hmm. business partner in the UK, and then a business partner in Australia who runs uh, a different brand, not Ninjas. similar business model, but not servicing e-commerce clients, uh, but servicing digital agencies. And I did actually have another business partner in Australia who ran the Ninjas Australia. And she unfortunately had uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer this mm. year and so we actually had to sell that part of the business, or mm-hmm. sell, find a home for all of her clients and team with another right. firm. She's been through her treatment and is is fine. Uh, that, that was one of the things that I needed to come back into the business for yeah. this year was was to support her through that and and manage that process. And a quick side note there: it was invaluable having a network in our in the accounting industry. Some mm-hmm. people say, "Oh, don't, don't bother." That you're not going to get clients from from networking with your peers. And for me, I needed to quickly find a home and a buyer for team members and, and clients. And I, I had a list of people I could reach out to to, to get a, a deal done really quickly. So that's yeah. a bit of a tangent and a side note, but I definitely recommend building a network within your industry, particularly when it comes time to to sell your business.
0: Right, and it uh, in invaluable. I mean, and plus you you feel good about transitioning them to somebody you trust too. You know, it's not just the fact I got to find somebody with a checkbook. I mean, it's absolutely finding somebody that you think can deliver on because there there is a tail. You know, there's a there's a continuing, regardless of what whose names on the shingle, they 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 expect that Bean Ninjas level of support that they had gotten. You know, up to that that time, and and they they look to you to kind of okay, if we're going to transition, I'm going to trust you to help me transition well. And that's that, uh, that's great. So are you, you're still in Australia though, correct?
1: I am. Yeah, I'm still in Australia and still on the Gold Coast. Okay. I, I'm originally from Melbourne, but I, right. I love it on the Gold Coast. So I had a deciding to move here 10 years ago, I had a spreadsheet where I had a whole lot of criteria <laughs> of climate, surf conditions, cost of living, international airports, food quality. There was a whole lot of criteria and the Gold Coast I was considering international countries or cities as well, as long as mm-hmm. I, I can't speak another language. So they needed to be English speaking. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think the Gold Coast is one of the best places to live in the world. Although maybe I shouldn't be promoting it because the surf is already crowded. <laughs>
0: exactly. That's right. Yeah. It's, you don't want to come down to lo- but lots of sharks. You don't want to, you don't want to <laughs> surf it. Exactly. For sure. Lots, big sharks, big sharks. Well, so this is, it's exciting to, uh, to see just your transition that you've made in a relatively short period of time and kind of business, you know, lingo or business timeframe. But uh, now as you've, as you've kind of gone through, I mean, you've, you've had so many different stages in a relatively short period of time as, as a founder or CEO and just dealing with issues and, and problems and things like that and lessons learned along the way. So tell us still just one or two things that are your really key that you that you've learned I mean you give us so much already but tell us one or two key things that are kind of industry agnostic that would say, you would say you know if you're if you're really trying to move as you said to move from your lifestyle business to to a scalable startup what are one or two lessons that you think are really key the
1: first one is i think executing quickly is a superpower And I think most people move too slowly because they're thinking about making things perfect. Mm. And and instead of that, I'll give a couple of examples of me challenging myself to move quickly. Uh, One of these was creating an online course and my business partner and I recorded a podcast every week of working in public and I pre-sold the course. So there was, I I had to make it, there was people that were turning up and then I was just creating that content a week in advance, Mm -hmm. recording the videos, creating the slides. (laughs) It's like counting
0: system, that's right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But for a year and a half before that, I'd been saying, oh, I want to create an online course. I'll do it. I did bits of it and never finished. And then when I put pressure on myself to get the whole thing done in a period of six weeks, then it happened. And I ran the cohort-based mm. course. I, I had to sell it to try and get customers. I sold it for a, quite a low price point, but just to get moving and, and get it done. And, th- and that's how I try and force myself and encourage my team to, to do that with anything. If, if someone says that's going to take me three months, I say, why? Why can't we do that in, in three weeks? What, what do we need to change so that we can get that done in a much shorter amount of time? Yeah. So I recommend that, that, people ask themselves that question of why can't we do this much faster Mm -hmm. than the initial target and just cut scope to to finish? Because finishing is hard. We all feel resistance to finishing something. And then my other tip would be belated. So so a lifestyle tip that I have is asynchronous communication, which is a style of communication where you try and eliminate meetings. Uh, So I don't take meetings generally on Mondays or Fridays. I, I try to avoid it. I'll make exceptions at like, like the podcast today, yeah, but, uh, but typically I try to only have meetings Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, and really limit them. And a technique I use to do that is asynchronous communication. So synchronous is where we're both online at the same time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas asynchronous is where I could record a video talking through something And then the other person would watch it at a time that suits them. And then they'd think about it and then they would respond whenever it suited them. And we could communicate like that. And I I was forced into that just with time zone differences. It's very hard with a young family to do early morning or late night calls with Europe where I have one of my business partners. And so we evolved. Yeah, that, that too. And so we evolved into that type of communication. And now whenever I'm asked for a meeting, I asked, what's the agenda? Do we actually need a meeting? Could you mm. record a video with your thoughts? And so I've replaced a lot of meetings. For example, weekly status update meetings. That doesn't need to be a meeting. Someone can just record a video walking through the results, the numbers. And if there's any questions, we can reply backwards and forwards. If there's a big issue, we can get onto a call. But but I don't default to meetings. And I also, if, if similar to that, moving quickly, what, the default meeting time is often an hour. I say let's make the default half an hour, yeah. and then you can you can probably get through I've it. I've tried that, in that as amount well.
0: Yeah, yeah. So
1: it's amazing how yep. if you create a shorter, it's a forcing function to yep. make things more concise.
0: What is that principle that says that you're you will expand work to the time allotted? I mean Parkinson's that, law. Yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> true. And you know, I in my day gig. I mean, I we have just meetings upon meetings and upon meetings, and I'm like. Don't don't just let the calendar default to an hour because that's what Outlook does, you know. <laughs> if you and- know, let's do it 20 minutes or let's do it 30 minutes or whatever and let's, you know, or let's cancel it. And like you said, can we handle this another way? Can will two emails suffice to this, you know, to to handle what we wanted to talk about in, in a two-hour meeting. So yeah, I'm. I'm getting. I'm. I'm like this old grumpy old man that says, "Get off my lawn," you know. That <laughs> with, with meetings well, right now.
1: <laughs> well, i like that too. I, most of the time, they're not needed. It- some people don't like being forced to put their thoughts into writing, but that's how it, that by doing that, that you can create clarity. So someone yeah. wants to come to a meeting to discuss something. Well, what specifically do you want to discuss? What do you want to propose? If that's mm-hmm. all written down, it's much easier to poke holes in it, see where the gaps are yeah. and respond back. And, and if the, info, the meeting is just for information to convey information, like walking through a slide deck. Why, why do you need to be there at that time? That yep. that, that could just be a loom video. Right. I'll get off my high horse, as you can tell. This no, is a, no, a it, topic of mine.
0: It is not a high horse. It's it's actually probably a productivity hack that, that <laughs> we all need to adapt more for or adopt more for sure. But man, that is, that is so true, so true. Marilyn, it has been so great to catch up and just really kind of hear that an update in in your life and and how being ninjas has kind of transitioned over the last couple of years. And as we close today, is there any just closing thought that you, you know, we we haven't touched on that you think would be really helpful to our audience and just wrap us up with something, you know, just more of what you've just shared in the last last 20 minutes or so.
1: I like to start with personal goals before I move to business goals, and I recommend taking some time out. For Bill Gates used to do what are called think weeks, mm. uh, and I, I like to do my own personal founder retreats. I don't do a week; I just do two nights, but away without anyone else to reflect and think about what, what do I want my life to look like. So financially, what do I need to achieve my goals? But What are my health goals? What kind of partner Mm -hmm. and and mother do I want to be? What kind of friend do I want to be? And get really clear about all of that first. And then I think about how can my business help me achieve those goals? And what kind of business do I want to run that's going to work for me with my lifestyle goals? Because if you don't do that, I think it's easy to grow a business at all costs and, and sacrifice those other things. So once I got clear about what I wanted personally it was easy for me to do no meetings Monday because that aligns with keeping a clear schedule to surf and to see friends. Right. But if, if you're not clear on that, then it would be easy just to allow your calendar to be filled with work, work, work and growing a business maybe larger than, than what you need. So take some time to reflect. And if you can, take, actually take a regular founder retreat on your own.
0: What a way to wrap up today. There's so much wisdom in, in just a short period of time. And it's like, you know, we got a, a business leadership 101 book. We just, uh, you, you just given to us for free in a, in a very short, very short period of time. But Meryl, thank you so much again for. For uh, coming back on an encore basis, and and man, we we're gonna have to do encore 2.0 if uh, you know based on this one. I, and I'm gonna I'm gonna somehow s- slip it in on your schedule where you don't you don't recognize what it is and you accept it. So uh, yeah, I want to somehow hack your system so you can so I can get back in there. But man, thank you again for once again just really playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Merrill, have a great weekend.
1: Thanks so much. Great to chat, Kevin.